Hey now, hey now. Episode number 10 of Where Wine Takes You. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. I am thrilled to get right into today's show because we have three guests I am very, very excited about. Before I tell you about them, make sure if you like what you hear here, share the podcast. There's lots of ways to do it. You can tell a friend, get social about it, tag at Paso Wine. Heck, tag me at Adam on the Air. I'd love to share what you share. You can also rate, review, and subscribe. Please, I would love if you did all three. It really helps the podcast so much. The little algorithm, there's little algorithm elves, and they just, they go to town when you do all three. Rate, review, and subscribe. It really, really helps. It allows us to bring you more stories, more candid conversations, which, if you think about it, only makes more possibilities for you to see where wine takes you. Today's show, we're talking untold stories. A Paso wine country, it's got plenty of them. Now, I don't mean just the underground tunnels through downtown that Jesse James used to travel through. That's all true. Or uh, how a brand got its name or maybe its label. It's like the movie Swingers. I love that film. You remember Vince Vaughn in the scene where he's introducing his friend to uh, a beautiful baby, as they call him in the movie? I want you to remember this face here, okay? This is the guy behind the guy behind the guy. I love that. The guy behind the guy behind the guy. And I love that because these untold stories, they go deep, but they reveal a deeper definition of who we're talking to, what shaped them, and more importantly, where wine took them. We're going to meet Tyler Russell on the show today. He is the owner and winemaker for Nell and Cordant Winery. Now, they're in the same place, but they represent some very different vibes. Tyler has a great brand. He's also the board chair for the Paso Robles Wine Country Alliance, and his road was paved with a lot of hard work knowing his dream, and then just being willing to grab it. He was 19 serving tables, and he would uh, compliment diners at the restaurant whenever they ordered a bottle of wine because he noticed and learned that if he did that, they would offer him a taste. That's when he noticed something far beyond just how to get a quick sip of booze at work. Listen. It was a 1997 BV Tapestry, which, you know, is a decent bottle of wine. I mean, it's, yeah. Good bottle. Yeah. And I remember saying, you know, wow, this is really good. And then, then I remember telling myself, well, I'm going to tell everybody that the selection was good and see what happens. And then that night, <laughs> someone else orders a different bottle of wine. And I tell them, oh, one of my favorites. I like blew it up a little bit. And they said the same thing. <laughs> really oh, really we'll turned it on. Us. Yeah. And, uh, and then I tasted it. And again, these are my first two real sips of wine at this point. And I tasted it. And I remember the first thing that popped in my head was, holy crap, they're different. I just love that. More with Tyler later on. Also, we're going to talk to friend and communications director for Paso Wine, Chris Toronto. Chris has seen Paso grow over his 14 years working in the wine biz here and has a unique perspective as he really sees things from the inside out, but educates others, psalms, media from the outside in, in a lot of ways. Chris is a great dude. Can't wait to chat with him later on in this episode. Today, though, our first chat is with Edgar Torres of Bodegas de Edgar. He's got a great story. One I liken to just the American dream. I mean, his family saw the country for the beacon of opportunity it is. They immigrated here and through hard work, big dreams, and just being a good guy, he has seen all the fruits of his determination. And I have always been a fan, and he makes it easy to root for him. 
I joined Edgar at his new location on the east side of Paso. He mentioned he never had a flashy backyard or living room growing up, so these areas of the winery he associates with the rooms of his house. So, in fairness, we are in the winery's living room, and I gotta say, it's a pretty darn comfy couch. So give me that sound, we'll get by, we pass on round till the job is camped out in the trees, it will simplify good company. <laughs> What's up, dude? It is so good to see you again. Cheers. Fun, dude. It is. It is always fun, isn't it? We always seem to kind of have a good a good rap and, and fun times. Yeah, and I'm kind of excited to see you doing something a little different than your normal reason why we get together, you know? The radio. This is a podcast. I feel, yeah, and this is this thing of Paso Wine has been a lot of fun. We're in like episode, I think like 10 now. And we've had some incredible interviews, told some really cool stories. And man, like the podcast has seen some really cool numbers. Like it got to like number 15 on the places and travel chart. Whoa. I was pretty shocked. I mean, there's like a couple hundred thousand podcasts above us floating right now, you know? I'm not surprised. One, your personality and your creativity behind the mic has been impressive to see because I still remember when you were in the oldie stations. Like oh my gosh, Q104. Q1045. Yeah. You remember that cute kid from Santa Maria? That you, Kiko. Kiko, yeah. I can't believe you remember Kiko. So this kid has been calling my show since he was nine years old. Yeah. And now he is uh, 19. He is yeah. in the Navy. He's got like clearance. Like I like did, literally did an interview with the government that I knew him for so long to help him get clearance in the military. Wow. I mean, this kid is just killing it. But it's yeah. so neat that you remember that. Well, for me, the, the fun thing about it too is like the podcast is kind of like the new way of creating an audience and and i think we you, you are getting on it with the right time with the wine culture evolving as fast as it is and everybody's you know you have the influencers on instagram you got so many people jumping into this whole wine game being an influencer too and i know you got celebrities from basketball players and so on but it's like there's an audience for wine now that yeah. we didn't have 15 years ago yeah the podcast is called where wine takes you we've had such a fun time exploring and playing with just those four words and what they can mean just depending on whatever you're talking about at the moment. I am a fan of you as a dude. You're a great guy. We've talked about your story. We're going to get into that. But like I've watched, I listened to you. I remember our first show we did probably like eight and a half years ago, you know, and it was with Mac Price Myers and we were in the, <laughs> yep. in the cellar and we're talking and you're, you're telling me all these things you've learned. And like, you probably only had a few harvests under your belt at that point, you know, and here you are now. I mean, the wines are fantastic. You're blazing your own trail. They're putting titles on you. Like you're the, this, you're the, that. And we got a whole new location. I mean, it is a very exciting time uh, to be this brand. You know, it, I was telling my, my seller staff this afternoon, we were driving the trailer in the truck and moving some wine around and, and just training them on how to drive a truck and trailer. And I was telling them, I was like, my best advice for anybody in this world, which I kind of had to tell myself is don't overthink it. Don't think about it too much. Just think it and just go through it. If you make a mistake, you're going to learn that mistake and not replicate it, right? So for me, I just started doing but luckily, because I had the experience and I had the network of friends around and I was seeing them, what they were doing, and I saw what a lot of people screwed up on doing along the way, I'm like, I'm not going to do that. And all the good stuff, I want to do that. <laughs> and so I started, like, picking the good things. And you make it sound so easy. <laughs> well, it, it kind of is. Sure. I, I tell people, it's always, it's going to be choices of, like, what you, you choose to 
be inspired by somebody, then you want to follow that inspirational person. And working for the guys that I worked at, like, they never were, they were, they were very, I was very identical to them. A lot of those guys got into it without a business plan, without a, a really, a, a drastic business plans with the fundamental things behind it. Some of them got in with a good focus and McPrice Myers was one of those guys that like, I love Rones. I'm going to produce Rones. I'm going to know everything about Rones in and out. And he was like the encyclopedia to the Rhone Valley. So when we played against the wine, he was kind of spot on always. And he also would tell you about the vintage, the bit and the, the scores. And, you know, if you want to know how much he spent on it, he politely would kind of like, say it quietly, but it has been fun for me to like just get going and writing just, you know, in the first few years, a few hundred bucks here and there, then it elevated to a few, a, a couple thousand dollars here and there. And so I was never comfortable writing zeros, you know? <laughs> and so I gave it off to the, to the wife at home. I'm like, look like the first two vintages. I'm like, when I'm writing like fruit bills and I'm paying barrels and I'm, I'm like, I can't, I, I'm not used to this. Like I never had it before, so I don't know how to let go of it. That's such an interesting dynamic. Like the first time you're seeing like return and money and capital to write a check for $2,400 was just like, oh my gosh, that's too many zeros. I got to be careful. <laughs> and, and then recently it's been like, I'm writing $20,000 checks and Damn. I'm like, oh, I'm just autographing it. Cause I have a nice accountant that comes in. You're like, that's more zeros. <laughs> I'm like, I might just, I'm just signing things now. And I'm like, you know, it, I feel like it happened so fast mm -hmm. and it happened so fast because I didn't sit and think about it. And it's only so often that I reflect on it. And, and earlier in Harvest, uh, I was crying with my staff outside, having a late night drink and bite of tacos that my dad was making and stuff. And we were talking about, like, you know, how cool it is to have what I have now in front of me. But it's moments like this when a person like you makes me reflect and think about it that I think what I I have but more so than anything, I just, I know I'm ambitious. I want to keep forward. I'm young. I, I, there's so much creativity in my head. I want to put it on the table. Yeah. Like you're far, 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 far from done. Been, We're just and, getting going. And, and at the same time, it's just evolving so, so fast and so often. The story is so cool. And I don't know how you fell exactly into wine, fell in love with wine, or just knew like, hey, I'm going to make a go at this. But I mean, one interview, it's like, oh, uh, I made a great relationship with the guy from Hug Cellars and I'm taking over their, their wines. And I'm like, wow. And then it's like, hey, I'm in uh, LA and I just, you know, I just did the, I just became a citizen, Adam. This is great. And they're like, oh my God, no way. Like, I feel like I've, I've been fortunate enough to ride this wave with you that's been very, very exciting. It's been very fun to follow. One of the biggest blessings that I fell in love with this community, it's that there's a great community in San Luis Obispo County. And for me to get in the car and listen to you on your radio stations early on, I don't know why I just turned it on. And, and there's a charismatic thing that translated, translated through the wavelengths of like being able to hear you. And then like, I had no idea that you and I would be sitting down a few times talking about what I'm doing, which is way cool. Right. But this community has given me a blessing of like, I love this community because I came over here across the border when I was a kid with just big dreams of 
doing something and becoming something because my parents, that's what they drove in my head. You're going to be a hard worker. You're going to do something. Mom wanted me to be a scholarly driven person and like go enough and have like multiple degrees. And I disappointed her because I didn't. I, I dropped out of college. I didn't transfer over to Cal Poly from Cuesta. And so I fell in love with wine at a young age. And I remember vividly seeing a 1994 bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon from Harmony Cellars. It's the first time I worked at a restaurant. I was 14 years old. And I, I see this label and I'm like, oh, that's cool. I just, I, I didn't think about it too much. So I saw that label and it got ingrained in my head. I went from being a busser at Lynn's in Cambria to becoming a waiter. Then I went from being a waiter in Lynn's to the Cavalier up in San Simeon. And we were the ones that we were the go-to restaurant to cater Steve Hurst's parties. So when it came to that, this is the grand. This is the grandson of William Randolph Hearst. Yeah, and the last, and he's like he's the patriarch of the the leftover family now. Exactly. The family that's left, I should say. Yeah. And so one of the funnest things is like anytime we had a VIP guest, we would cater them. We would take care of them at the restaurant, or we would go up there. We would do banquets up at the Hearst Castle. And I grew up in Cambridge since I was eight years old. I never went to the Hearst Castle till I was working as a waiter and I was just waiting tables. I had never really paid attention to the building. And it wasn't until like four years, three years after high school that I went up there to actually just take a, a visit and see the whole entire thing. And you're just blown away. I was blown away. But those dinners that we did were the reason I got pushed in a nice way over to Paso because I was falling in love with like, Buena Vista Carneros wines. I was falling in love with uh, Francis Capola had just taken over the project and rebranded it. And we, I was drinking silver oak. I had no idea what I was drinking at like 20 years old and, and tasting and food pairing with the guys at the restaurant. And one of the chefs who's still a dear hard friend of mine that I still associate myself with on a yearly basis. He was like, dude, you're absorbing this food and wine pairing thing so much. And you're learning about the wine that we need you you need to move on. You're going to, you, you, you can't do much more here. So he pushed me to what I tell everybody, my junior college for the wine world, Villa Creek Cellars, downtown Paso. <laughs> sure. Was a staple for like 21 years, man. And like, I was so fortunate to move over to Paso and work in Paso in 2002, like 2001 to 2005. I did my on and off sting working for Chris Cherry at the restaurant. And wine is the reason and it's kind of a fun the way you guys titled it where wine takes you wine took me from cambria as a buster and a waiter to paso as being a waiter falling in love with this and then going to clean after some of my homies and and and, and being introduced on how to produce wine by jacob toft and chris cherry enthusiastically giving us incentives of like sell wine in the restaurant and you know and i was drinking schrader i was drinking chateau reyes i was drinking like chateau neuf de pop and my wife still i make fun of her because she calls it chateau neuf de pape and it's like <laughs> I, i'm like we couldn't even pronounce the wines but they were so delicious and right it just, it just got me and then i had the opportunity to go learn under some of the guys and work for some of the guys and and now wine is the catalyst to our life you know, I feel bad for my little boy because he hasn't made it over to Spain because he's been too young to take over to Spain and really have him enjoy it. But now he's like, you're taking me to Spain next time you go. I'm like, well, that's where wine has taken me. I yeah. All yeah. the way to Spain. I got over Hey, did your problems. mom forgive you? My mom forgave me about a few <laughs> years into it. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah, I was hanging on that part. 
You know, it's interesting because we were talking about this aspect a little bit off the air, and this episode is, the theme is untold stories. And one of the coolest aspects that I have always enjoyed about being a fan of yours is the idea of buckling down and and finding this country and you being able to use its resources to do whatever you want. And I've, that's what I've always known to be the American dream. And I feel like sometimes now everything can get so like, and even just in the last couple of years, I mean, you and I have been talking about this aspect uh, in your journey for a while, but in the last couple of years, like I've seen you in publications like Mexican wine, first Mexican American winemaker and this and this. And I'm, I'm almost wondering, because I feel like I've talked to these, I've talked to, I've had conversations with like, like a women wine makers and you'll see all these things like women in wine and i'll talk to like jordan from epic and it's like well don't you don't you just want to be recognized as a winemaker like i mean yes you're a woman of course i mean that's, a, that's amazing but you kind of get what i'm saying so yeah. did, did you feel like you were starting to get boxed in a little bit obviously your story is wonderful but what did you feel when you started to see some of the the angle of some of these things and I, we're kind of seeing it now with uh, using your ethnicity as far as like why we need to pay attention to you no for sure i think I think one of the funnest things that we were kind of talking off air about this a little bit, but it's and gotten highlighted. Like I said, I started this in 2007, right? So I have not steered away from the qualitative way of making wine from day one. It's been a great journey for me. I think the reason I am successful more so than anything is the adversity definitely that I had to face. I moved there when I was eight years old. I was brought over illegally, unfortunately. I got stuck in the broken immigration system where there wasn't a way to readjust my status. Every time there was an opening, I was, for my parents, when they became permanent residents, I was an adult. They couldn't really sponsor me anymore. The Dreamers Act happened. It was everybody under 30. I was just turning 31 when it happened. So, like, for me, like, I just kept going, and I'm just like, you know what? Like, I just kept fighting through it, and more so than anything, I wasn't fighting through it. I was just focused on what I fell in love to do. But you and I share this conversation, and it's fun to talk to you about it because the day that I became a U.S. citizen, you and I hadn't been carrying on this conversation forever. And you're one of those friends of mine in this community now that I love this community and, and, and I love the community for being as supportive as it is. For me, my life was handed a different set of cards and I just worked through it and and I'm happy where I'm at. I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. That's kind of the biggest focus I tell people. I fell in love with making wine. It's a beautiful nation. I tell everybody, it's a beautiful nation, and I traveled it. But dreaming of going to France and Spain, down to the Caribbean, to Hawaii, to, well, Hawaii, I could do, I did it many times. But you couldn't go? You couldn't leave the country? I couldn't leave the country. And now I go to Mexico once or twice a year. So yeah. Like, I'm everywhere, and I'm enjoying it. <laughs> now you're jet-setting it. Well, Because you know they'll let you way, back in. <laughs> in a way, it is. And That's so the, cool, though. It is way cool. Well-deserved. Thank you. I, I think one of the funnest things, like, you know, the jet setting aspect of things is fun. And I have some friends who are way over wealthier than I could ever imagine to become. But they started with nothing. And that's kind of the fun thing for me is like, I still act and think like I don't have it. And a lot of times uh, I feel bad for my staff because I'm thinking resourcefully. And sometimes I'm like, you know, just don't overspend, don't overspend. And I forget that I actually do have it now. And my wife is always like reminding me, it's like, hey, you can afford it. I'm like, can we, can we, can we? And it's just like, <laughs> stare at the bank account. And I stare at the bank account. I'm like, oh yeah, we can't afford it. Okay, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. 
Maybe get into a little bit about the, the people of Paso, how help along the way, the, the way things you have, the way you've kind of interpreted the people's role in Paso wine. I couldn't be here without great support of I of inviting to the community of friends that, you know, like respectfully have said some nice things and, and keep me motivated and, and they seek me out to drink with them and taste with them and, and, and invite me over to their places and stuff. But I feel like more so than anything, the true essence of the Paso explosion occurred in Via Creek. And I fell in love with all those guys. Chris Cherry, I mean, had such a magical thing. I think he kind of had a hint of what he was doing, but I don't think he really had the scope of what he had started because that was the hangout place for Eric Jensen, Matt Trevison, um, Scott Hawley to Justin Smith to, you know, Steve Croner used to go in there a lot. Joe Barn used to go in there a lot. Like a lot of these guys used to go in there a lot. And I remember I was working in 03 at that wine bar. I had just moved here, Vinoteca. Yeah. And I, after work, since Via Creek was open later, I would always go over to Via Creek, didn't know anyone. And I would just try and meet people and like see what's up. You know, like, you know, I'm just brand new to Paso. So, but I totally remember this being like the hot spot. Via Creek was, it was sick then. You know, just recently, even we had two weekends back to back and I paid for them drastically very well. <laughs> and I, you know, I have no shame saying I was hung over as I can get uh, <laughs> with Stanley. Oh, man. From Top Winery. Yeah. He's so much fun. He is. I like him a lot. He has a lot of that fun energy that um, any new young producer in the area can bring to the table. And so his wines are fantastic, too. I think they're phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I, I think his palate is really transcending into the wines that he's producing. And more so than anything, his palate is very transcending to the, the wines he's producing, but the wines that he's also been influenced in drinking. And so he's showing up here two weekends in a row of like, I'm doing him a favor of letting him borrow something or he's, or he's returning something. And then those two visits, it's like, one bottle starts the whole game. And then before you know it, it's like four hours later, 10 bottles deep. Mm -hmm. And then he's trying to repay the favor by me walking over or making my way back to his place. But it's, it's, it's like, I think the best representation of this community too, right now is showcasing in 10 city. Yeah. I mean, cause you got beer, cider, spirits. Yeah. Of course, world-class wine. And then, you know, you got like Giornata who's doing like, you know, orange wines and skin contact and everyone's, and then you got like Valia who's just incredible. When you say skin contact, we can't talk about skin contact and not talk about Xavier. Oh, of course. <laughs> Xavier Union Sacre. I mean, those wines are fantastic. In fact, when yeah. I was, when my girl and I made our, we made a peak pool in 2018 and we yeah. put skin contact on it. He was one of the first people I talked to because I know he's got his Gewurz, he's got his Riesling. He puts a little skin contact on all these wines and oh my God, I mean, I'm so glad you brought him up. He is, uh, that's another great untold story. Well, I think the, the, the funnest thing about the community for me that it's been uncomfortable talking about, you know, the the illegal aspect of being brought up here and stuff is that more so than anything, the, the community has a very fun diversity going on of producers. The stories are inspirational in so many ways. And I think that's kind of where I get uncomfortable, you know, I'm talking about my story where like there's so many other fun stories, too. 
but it is a story. It's a story that resonates with a lot of people. It is part of the American dream and stuff. And Xavier is one of those guys who loves what he does. And he came here from France and, you know, he's doing his thing. And, you know, um, I love Guillaume. I think Guillaume is very passionately driven and, and, and it's in its blood. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not just a passion. When it's Jeremy and I did the Cork Dork show in Bordeaux, he hooked me up with not only he got me into Chateau Margaux, yeah. which is like pff, amazing. They don't yeah. do things like that. And then, uh, but he had his dad. His dad picked us up in his Audi and drove um, Jeremy and I and all of our equipment up to his house. And we did a show at, at their chateau. Like, you know, it was so cool. And you're right, it's in his blood. You know, the, I think it's kind of the fun thing about this community, you know, it's like we had a uh, beautiful wine here. We were talking about. Where do you make the best raw? Is it here in Paso? Is it in southern part of the county? Or is it in Santa Barbara County? Is it cool climate or, or warm weather climate? And that was kind of what started the game with a few of my colleagues here one night. And before you know it, we have Chris Swayer, one of the sommeliers from Napa. They was visiting me and I, he was down here doing some stuff. And he brings this beautiful bottle of wine and he shares with us. And we just did this raw tasting. And we had like some powerful Syrahs on the table and he blew us away with I, one of the better bottles of Syrah that I've had recently. Where was it from? Epic. Jordan. Oh, yeah, for sure. That black label Syrah that she made up there. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That thing is I know. beautiful. Yeah, she does that Block B, which is all Syrah. It's, uh, she's one of my absolute favorite winemakers. She's my yeah. winemaker crush. I love Jordan and her wines. <laughs> For sure. No question about it. I think that's kind of one of the fun things about the town is that there's so much diversity uh, within the industry of producers and what everybody's focused on doing is so different. What are you doing right now as far as like, first of all, I mean, I had a great conversation with Jason Haas and I'm kind of asking all these people who have been on the show as, you know, as we're reeling with COVID and regulations and guidelines. Uh, was there ever a time that you were in bed looking up at the ceiling and wondering, is Bodega de Edgar going to stick around? We had this fun conversation yesterday with my uh, assistant winemaker in training, Cassidy, and it was the whole COVID thing. The beautiful thing that came out of COVID for me is we're opening up another tasting room called Straight Out of Paso for a brand that has been carrying us through the shutdown. Last year, I threw a 250-case project of Straight Out of Paso, Zen, and Roan blended together. And it was kind of a unique kind of idea that I've been playing with. And I love music. There is a music connection to that, as we all can reference straight out of Compton, whatever. But it's like straight out of Paso. For me, embracing Spain and making wines named after my favorite regions over there, I feel like, you know, there has to be a way for me to pay my respect to the town of Paso Robles. And so I decided to, I threw that on the table and it started to move. And the shutdown occurred, and I'm like, you know what? That is like everyday drinking style wine. Let's just offer it up. And uh, Laura threw a Super Bowl weekend uh, little flash sales for the weekend, and like it just created a buzz. Then I just kept moving it. And then one of my buddies bought some in Virginia, and he's like, I want whatever you have. And I'm like, well, I'm like, you know, let's make some more. So then we made some Zen. Then we made some calves. So the whole idea behind Straight Out of Paso is paying the respect to the starting varietals of the region and what really revolutionized the wine country that we are living in. So Straight Out of Paso is uh, a brand for Zen, Cab, 
and rum varieties, red and white blends. Uh, and the fun thing is that like through the shutdown, we had, we sold through it pretty easily. Uh, we made two rosés, like 250 cases of rosé. Like we sold it within like a month wow. and then we, we made a cab and like 500 cases of cab disappeared within two months so this is really helping get through this was helping get oh, through these times drastically where are you going to put the new tasting room uh so we're going downtown on railroad street we're going to be sandwiched between the backyard and uh cal coast brewery wow so we're we have a pretty fun big old patio for the time being because we can only perform outside mm-hmm. so there's a brand new fresh poured concrete pad out there we're going to furnish it up to be able to accommodate tastings outside we have this nice it should look like a front yard in compton kind of yeah <laughs> just I can't find those uh beat up rep. couches up here right, yeah. so now everybody has fancy couches no one has uh, crappy adirond- yeah, now, now it's all adirondack chairs yeah that's so cool though straight out of Paso. i mean i remember when you were playing around with this idea and it's just so i mean it's just like Light bulb. Light bulb goes off. You got to grab it. Which was the one thing, maybe the citizenship, maybe the the ability to release all these wines. Maybe it was the move. Was there one thing where it kind of sealed your heart and mind? Like, wow, we've arrived. Like, we're... Maybe it was first getting in the black. I don't know. Like, where was it where you're just like, damn, we arrived. We're, We're doing this now. So, we moved into this new building in November of last year. I got the key... It hit my wife a little bit more than it hit me because every big thing in life, you know, as a married man, you always are trying to take care of that girl. So I have always had her sign things off. I had her have the checks. I had her have everything. And she's the one I'm like, my realtor came to me. He's like, I have the key. I'm like, give it to her. So (laughs) she gave her the key. And then like, I just kept doing my thing. And then she came to me and she walked to me like the next morning. She's like, we did this. I'm like, yeah, we did this, but we got to keep going. So I, I, I don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't until like I was filling up this little room with people where you and I are sitting. And we had some great response of like the whole new move. I had a few friends that doubted the move and asked, are you going to be able to have people back here and things? And I'm like, you know what? I've been blessed enough that I have a wine club and a great audience that is following us that I, I'm not worried about it. And we've been doing great through COVID. I pride myself on trying to retain my staff and we picked up a great staff along it. I didn't want anybody to, you know, go unemployed or anything like that. So I pride myself on making sure that we kept everybody. And we, because right after the shutdown, like I just pivoted. Laura and I started packaging stuff. I sent her home. She was quarterbacking from the house. She was working remotely and telling me, like, print up this order and, like, you know, ship this tag and everything. And I was just, it was just her and I for a minute. Um, And then at the end of the day, it just kind of worked out to where we brought in Chris Riley. And he, you know, Smiley has just brought that ultra smile to the whole program. And he's been, yes, Mr. Yes, Sir, and helping and stuff. And then, you know, Cassidy, uh came on board and just kind of took ownership of like helping me with the seller and everything. And then we picked up Coral and it's a, it's a nice meshing group of people right now. And, and it's a great thing that COVID just gave me more energy. I didn't give myself the time to sit and think about it. Yeah. What's cool is that it's not always about with you, what you can get out of them as employees, but it's really cool what they can get out of you because you never stop 
doing what you did and that was learn and you know that as a mentor now and you're teaching like i mean chris was just saying i saw chris before you know before you came in here and before he left and he was like oh yeah we're doing this and i'm just learning so much from this guy you know i mean that's really cool and i know that that's really important to you because that's how you took the next step to the next step to the next step and got higher on those pegs and that idea and i think because i have a heart for that too like what you were talking about kiko on my morning show earlier like and i still talk to him so it's like when you have the ability to like to connect with someone and either you remember all the people that you've learned from so it's like gosh if i can offer anything or if i can be there for anyone to teach them anything and shoot it's it's so worth it this world is too small so well i mean like short I have the most awesomest little guy ever. Of course, I can say that because I'm going to want to say that because he's my little boy. But my little boy is just the game changer in my life. Yeah, El Chunker? He ain't no Chunker. He's El Flaco now. Yeah. He's he's Mr. uh, We made a wine for him. Yeah, one of the times we did a thing. I mean, you had that (laughs) wine that you made for him. Remember, you put it aside and... We're actually going to re-release the 2013 El Chunker here pretty soon. It's drinking pretty delicious. And it was, as much as I wanted to hold on to that wine and and give it to him and have him decide, I want to sell it off and I want to put that money into his uh, savings account and then he can do whatever he wants to do with the money. I don't want him to get stuck with uh, potentially vinegar 20 years from now. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Save <laughs> but, a case or two. But I think the the funnest thing about what COVID has done, it has, for me, as, I'm, as, I, as I get out a little bit more now, I, have, I wasn't getting out too much. I haven't, I haven't been socialized. Not that I... I love to socialize, but I don't do it to the degree that I would enjoy it as much because I don't live in town too. But the whole street scene for me, it's very normal. And I tell people, I'm like, look, we need to slow down life a little bit. I'm not saying shutting it down because that doesn't work for anybody, but slow it down a little bit. We're like, I love going to Mexico because life slows down drastically. And I'm not eating indoors when I'm in Mexico. Even in some of the good restaurants, we're eating on patios. Like the whole patio eating, like El Cortila is awesome. Thomas Hill Organic out in the patio, it's awesome. But now we're taking it from the patio to the street, to the sidewalk. It's pretty awesome. I like that. This this is very this is very European. This yeah. is very old world feel where when you go to Spain, you're in the plaza, you're eating in the plaza. I do like that. I do enjoy some of these aspects that have changed because of COVID that I'm like, ooh, I hope we can keep this. Well, to so go drinks? Yeah, please, A lot please. of that thing, <laughs> I think the biggest thing that when I have woken up in the middle of the night to think about things, I'm, I'm just putting things into perspective of like, one of my goals that I have been working really hard, and I talked to my staff this morning, it's like, we were having an inventory issue right before the shutdown. Now we're going into like, okay, now we have to manage the inventory. And the girls are like, well, we're running out of things. And I'm like, well, if we're running out of things, then if we're forced to bring something sooner than I would desire, then let it be. So as we get there, my goal that I had always worked to have a good staff behind me was you can have the month of January off because it's dead around here. But I want to run out of product to almost have like two months worth of time off for me and my staff. I've always been a fan of uh, your drive. These wines are fantastic. I mean, Bodega de Edgar, um, you can log on to bodegadeedgar.com and learn about these guys. We're now on the east side of Paso. So you go 46 east, like you're going out to Eberly. You make a left at Golden Hill Road. You can't miss it because it's a big light. You got signs up the whole way. Like it is so easy to find you here. And you got all this room here. Like it's so cool to see you all spread out. Like this is fun. I'm really proud of you. It's like every single time I talk to you, again, 
again and we catch up. It's just like more, more things that I'm just like, wow, like it's so much fun to be a fan of yours. Well, I really appreciate it. And, you know, it, it is, as I told a couple of wine club members last week who have been following me uh, for a while now, it is fun to have people to share this journey with, not just my family and my staff or my friends. This is a dream that it only stays alive with the support of the consumer. And I have a pretty good foundation of wine club now that helps me be, they're my finance program. So more so than anything, I cannot do this without them. That's so cool. That's yeah. so cool. And Paso, I mean, Paso has just blown up. It is so cool. Like I remember Gary Eberly telling me like an episode, you know, one or two of this podcast. And it's like, if Paso doesn't succeed, Eberly won't succeed. And we're so lucky that those folks in the very beginning, like the Tobys and the, and the Garys and the Dugs and the Neils and, you know, Art Normans, they knew Paso had to succeed if their brand was going to succeed. And what's cool is the new, and then you go to like the next school and like the Stefanoseos and, you know, and then you go to the next school, like the Joe Bartons and the U's and stuff like that. Everyone kind of has always kept Paso first. And it has been so special to the growth and to the real recipe of what's special about this wine country. I couldn't agree more with you because you're totally right. We have waves that have come in and everybody has focused on the reason why they come in. Paso is a beautiful community. Paso is a great wine country competitively. We can put our wines against anybody around the world now, and we stand our ground. The funnest thing about this now is that we're drawing in so many different consumers because of the informational technology that is out there to get the word out. That yes, we had you know the Justin Baldwin, we had the Everleys, we had Doug Beckett, we had Kenny Volk. Man, come on, Kenny Volk was like one of those heroes back in the day, and he was the the mentor of all mentors, his little wild horse project was the junior college to a lot of the guys on the West side. Absolutely. And great and, point. I'm glad you brought that up. And, and Justin, of course, great, great names to bring up and to bring, to have those guys do what they did for the community. Then, as I said, Villa Creek becomes the Mecca where the Rome revolution kind of sparked up and took off. And a lot of the guys, like I still remember sharing my first Tempranillo with Bill Armstrong, my 2007. Oh, that, that, of course. It's, Bill was buying the property and we were talking about uh-huh. Tempranillo and it's by far one of the better Tempranillos in town too. Oh, boy, drink, oh Jordan's you know? Tempranillo Reserva. They don't, they don't do the Reserva every year. The Tempranillo Reserva is ooh, so yeah. good. No. And, and for me, I mean, she's so phenomenal at what she does up there. And, and then we have the wave of like, you know, everybody's working under somebody. So you have the Ryan Peace now kind of becoming his own person, but he was working under a few other guys, yeah. myself. And then you have, sure. you know, like, Oh, Tyler Russell. Yeah. Fantastic winemaker. Went to Seneda, went to Calcareous for a little bit. And then you have the generational, it seems like every 10 years you have this like this gap of 10 years difference. It kind of elevates Paso. In this episode, you and I, if somebody was taking notes, we have mentioned so (laughs) many great names that if you were to just take the notes that were mentioned in this podcast alone. They would have a good weekend. You would have a fantastic (laughs) weekend. Did you have fun doing this, man? I love this, man. I always love hanging out with you, dude. I mean, like you, you pull things out of me that sometimes I'm uncomfortable, you know, but. But in a good way, I hope. In a a great way. My eyes are hurting right now because I'm holding the tears back because you and I have been going through this. 
I was working with Mac. I remember the yeah. seller. It was a fun, drunken night. And then I do remember when you and Jeremy came to the old hug sellers facility and we finished it up with the shot of tequila. He gets on top of the forklift and I'm like, oh my God, did I just get myself into potential liability <laughs> issue here or what? <laughs> and so, no, we've, we've had a great relationship and friendship along the way, man. They're like, let's keep growing together. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so excited for you. Love being a fan of Bodega de Edgar and Edgar Torres. One of the untold stories that I think we just a little bit tapped into, but you got to see where wine takes you, and I hope it takes you to Bodega de Edgar. Love you, brother. Love you too, man. Always, dude. That was you make it too easy. So give me that mm, sound. We'll get by. We pass on round till the job is Camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Our thanks to Edgar Torres. I want to get right in to a friend of Edgar and a friend of mine. His name is Tyler Russell. Tyler Russell is Paso Perfect because he is unapologetically doing it his way, but in a way that you totally respect and in a way that when the Paso Pioneers were doing this, it put Paso on the map. In addition to the Paso fruit he scores, he actually likes to play with some fruit outside the area, which is a lot of fun. He makes bomb Chardonnay, Pinot Noir. This dude just blazes his own trail. I meet Tyler on my way into Tin City. We brought you here a few episodes back. Remember with Brian Terizi? Remember Giornata? Uh, Edo Pasta? Go back a few episodes and you could check out Tin City. We talked to uh, Brian Terizi. I want to say it was episode number four. Well, Tyler, he just finished lunch. He's got a busy cellar going on right now. So we escape upstairs to his office. Cheers. Cheers to you. Here we are. Cheers to you. I've never been upstairs in the office. This is cool. A lot of people have. I swear to God, I think you have a record player in every room in this place. (laughs) Yes, some of them are functioning and some of them aren't. How many many record players do we have in this uh, establishment, in this business? Uh, Working three. Wow. Yeah, and then at home one and then... I love my record player at home. I love yeah. it. And I remember you were one of the first places that I remember starting to like see it, like, you know, use it more and more. Like if you go to like Saxon or some of these other places, there's one in the cellar, mm-hmm. but you got one right in the, in the tasting room too. Yeah. We have one in the cellar one in the tasting room. And I have one upstairs. Yeah. Nell Corden. We have two different brands here. Two different brands. Yeah. And they represent two different kinds of grapes. Uh, well, yeah, in a nutshell, um, Cordon, which is, uh, focuses on Pinot Noir or Burgundian varietals, I guess you can say, because now we are making Chardonnay, um, and the Nell focusing on Rhone varieties. What's interesting about you, Tyler, and I've always really connected with you. I love when we get a chance to chat. Likewise. And um, the only bummer about these conversations is that they're probably not nearly as long as I could go with you. Like, well, I feel we like- have a reputation of going pretty long. Like if Every time I'm on the radio show with you, I end up sticking around for the Bakersfield portion. And, right, yeah. And, and, <laughs> That's and, right. Yeah, I think we did a Cork Dorks here one day, too, with Stanley and Elaine and all those people, and I think that ended up going like two and a half hours or Ooh, something like that. I know. Yeah. How are those folks? Top one. Yeah, Yeah, we got to connect with them with the podcast. Heck yeah. Um, You know, the podcast is called Where Wine Takes You. That's right. And I know your road uh, has been paved with a lot of hard work, a lot of working your way up. Mm -hmm. Talk about where wine kind of found you and where it's taken you along the way. Yeah, so wine found me uh, waiting tables in my late teens. So I was a waiter when I was 19 at a fine dining establishment, and I was working one day and somebody ordered a bottle of wine and I complimented their selection and they offered me a taste. Said, Did you even know what you I just, No, I just told them I was trying to, I was working for tips. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? So like, yeah, every, <laughs> they could have ordered something horrible and my, my life could have been totally different. Right. They ordered a good bottle and I said, great choice. And they said, 
uh, have some. And I said, all right, yeah, that sounds cool. And it was just more like a loophole I found to drink at work. You know, I was 19, and so it was a little different mindset at the time. My gal does that at restaurants, and I think it's such a cool and classy yeah. thing that she does. If I forget, but I learned that from her. She's like, please grab a glass. We'd love to share some with you. Especially if I bring a bottle. Yeah, yeah. well, right, of course, yeah. right. But it's yeah. so cool because even and you really get to gauge where the server is on wine, what they know, what mm-hmm. they want to know, what sure. they're willing to learn. It's kind of a cool little moment. Yeah, and I think it's too. It's a good way to break the ice with the server too. Then you can like everyone can put their hair down a little bit, and I mean that relationship, you know, between customer and server is a valuable one, and yeah. it's a reason why we tip. There's a reason why you know we go out to eat. Like it's not because we don't know how to cook. It's because it's the whole experience, <laughs> which I'm sure many of us miss very much at this point. Yeah, um, good point. But. You know, that's something since then I always do too, if, if, especially if there's, you know, compliment the selection, or compliment the bottle we bring in, or there's some kind of like, ooh, this or whatever, like, oh, grab a glass. I'd love for you to have some. So you're like, good choice. Uh, yeah. And then what happened? What, do you remember what it was? Uh, it was a 1997 BV Tapestry, which, you know, is a decent bottle of wine. I mean, it's, yeah, good bottle. Yeah. And I remember saying, you know, wow, this is really good. And then, then I remember telling myself, well, I'm going to tell everybody that the selection was good and see what happens. And then that night someone else orders a different bottle of wine and I tell them, Oh, one of my favorites. I like blew it up a little bit and they said the same thing. No, really, really we'll turned it on. Us. Yeah. And, uh, and then I tasted it. And again, these are my first two real sips of wine at this point. And I tasted it. And I remember my first thing that popped in my head was, Holy crap. They're different. Why are they different? And that, why are they different? I, as I always say, was the snowflake that started the snowball for my interest in wine. Because you start asking questions. Well, why are they different? Oh, these varietals, these places, these vintages, these these human beings involved. And, and all these things mattered. And wanting then going to the store and looking at the wall of wine at the grocery store or whatever. And was like, well, are all these wines different? Like, And then kind of going from there and, and just wanting to try every single wine I could led to an infatuation and it was just like before wikipedia so you couldn't just look it up and then be an expert and move on to something else like if you <laughs> wanted to learn about something it required effort and energy and 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 follow through the good old days huh yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so and that's just how it started and then from there i got a job i went and found a job at a wine shop and because i didn't want to wait tables anymore and I still wanted to work around wine, so a wine shop hired me and and became the buyer after working there for after a few months because of a convenient circumstance and you're in and now you're in yeah, and that's just like this is what i'm doing for the rest of my life but at what capacity i didn't know i was only 21 at the time 22 and so, so then you're like now i gotta find someone who produces it someone who makes it how well, I gotta meet how's it made and what's that process look like and all that good stuff and so once those questions started popping into my head or you start meeting you know when you're a buyer you have different people coming into the wine shop usually your sales reps from different distributors or brokers well every once in a while they have what's called a ride-along and it's a representative from the winery and some of those times it's a winemaker and when they you start hearing these guys and gals talking about how what would go into this wine that type of knowledge becomes really infectious and so that's and then and again i was young enough and ambitious enough at that point to know like this is what i want to do how do i go about doing this and, and go do it i had nothing to lose at that point i didn't have like i had a, a job at a wine shop and i paid rent somewhere i was 22 years old in upstate new york and i was out i moved to california wow land here uh, i moved to this area so i'm originally from california and so i moved there about the time i got into wine um and then i knowing i'm from the central valley and so i knew this area from coming here on weekends or whatever one of those valley people and uh shout out were you six six one or five five nine? I was uh, five five nine. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I used to be two oh nine back in the day, but no, oh yeah, that, that, that. talk about old school. Yeah, 
And yeah, and then I chose this area because I thought I was going to have to go to school, which I didn't end up doing. And, you know, my three options, as far as I were concerned, were UC Davis, Fresno State, and Cal Poly. And it was more about geography than anything why I chose this area. And, you know, the idea of being so close to Paso Robles, feeling like if I wanted to get a job, that there's a place nearby that, that I could accommodate that. Uh, I liked the wines from the area already at that point, too. So that definitely played a role in my decision to come to this area, too. But then I got a job at a tasting room before I can regain my California residency, and I never looked back. So I never went to school Started working at wineries and worked my way up from there. So, I mean, you, you played all the roles. So, cellar rat. Cellar rat, tasting room. Yep. It's so interesting to, like, try on all these different outfits of wine and roles you can play. But at some point, you get to a place where you want to express yourself through this mm-hmm. medium. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, now I want to make one. But not even just that. I want to go. I mean, you are very specific. Like your Nell brand is this. Your Cordant mm-hmm. brand is this. Uh, when did that identity and that ability to be like, okay, this is how I'm going to express myself. And when did that monolith get kind of chiseled out? Well, I think I always knew from the time I got here that I wanted to do my own thing. I'm kind of like, for lack of a better term, like unemployable in a lot of ways. Like I kind of just, I like to wake up when it's time to wake up. I like to eat when I'm hungry. I like to like, I don't really do the nine to five thing very well. I mean, the thing is I end up working because I love it from, you know, seven to beyond, you know, five or whatever. But like, but I just, I don't know. I don't really fit that nine to five mold. And so in order to do that, I had, you know, you have to do your own thing. And so, um, and also too, like, there's this creative energy in winemaking that is really important to me and really something I don't take lightly. And that was always kind of there too. And so it's like, you know, it's one thing to make wine for other people, which I've done and and still do. And, and, you know, but there's a totally different thing from when you looking in a fermenter or whatever, looking at a vineyard or walking a row and just letting your instincts guide some decisions and you get to just kind of do it as you feel. And so that desire, that voice in there was always just so loud that that was always going to be, the end result for me. It's so interesting. So many parts of you are very simple and very easy. Like there's no uh, bullshit. You see what you see is what you get. But there's a lot that maybe you don't see that when you get to know you, mm-hmm. you get. I mean, there are a lot of complex uh, aspects to, I mean, you know, your leadership. We're going to talk about community in a little bit, which I'm really fascinated on. All the ways you lead. I mean, here's that seller rat we're talking about. Here's that 19-year-old server, and now he's chairman of the board of directors for the Paso Robles Wine Country Alliance. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you ever see the, that guy being that guy? No, uh, not even a little bit. And I think that one thing I've always admired about some of the winemakers that I've looked up to over the years is that they rem- they always maintain some sort of mystery and they always made it on the surface look like things were easier than they really were. And so I think being conscious of that led to that, you know, persona or that kind of that vibe that I, I maybe put off. You know, there's so much intention to everything in my opinion in, in a winery and especially if you're not if you're, you know, like I also very vocal and, and adamant about how our hospitality is done as well. And there's, there's a lot of little things that go into making it, doing it the right way, in my opinion. And and I'm very much vocal about those things to the team. And it's like things need to be done a certain way, even though if it seems ridiculous or like, it doesn't matter, like everything matters. And But at the end of the day, it needs to look like that we're not even trying. Right. You know, and so that's and that's that's the hard part for some people, I think. Yeah. Uh, Joel, I was talking to Joel Peterson, who, of course, Pass Robles Wine Country Alliance, and the executive producer of this podcast with Paso Wine. And we were talking about, you're a big picture thinker. 
uh, you, you really are good at being a big picture thinker and a, uh, a thoughtful leader. That's so true. And I think about our conversations mm-hmm. off the air and how I've been blessed to get to know you like this is a dude. And like, really, big picture thinker, thoughtful leader. Appreciate it. I mean, I, I definitely will always want what's best for this region as a whole and not necessarily me specifically. Like we put a lot of energy to making sure that when you walk in our two doors that you want to come back and that there's a, there's something that resonates with you here. But when I put on, you know, chairman hat or, or, or board member hat as PRWCA, it becomes much bigger than just one one place and it becomes a lot of places and it becomes, you know, Paso Robles as a whole. And so you got to think a little differently and you got to put on a different hat. Paso Robles wine country has played a really important role at being a home and a foundation to so many winemakers in this new school who can't necessarily afford a big plot of land for their own estate fruit, mm-hmm. but can build on the relationships that they've, that they've made and the connections that they have, get bomb fruit, make bomb wine. Yeah. And you're seeing this more and more now. And it's really kind of, I mean, look at, I mean, we're here on the outskirts of, of Tin City. There's so much of that. It, it's very alive now and it's really cool that this new school has been able to do this without their own estate vineyards. How has Paso played a role in in allowing that to happen? The thing about people that are in a position in Paso Robles to help someone out was also needed help at some point. They also needed a couple tons of fruit to get going in a corner in in wherever they worked to really start to develop what they're going to do. And so there's a lot of, there's a pretty sympathetic kind of group of people because some of our most well-known prestigious players in this area started in the corner of someone else's building and now turned it into something. And so I think it's a part of our duty to, to, to pass that on because you never know who your assistant is or seller master is that has that interest, what they're going to be in 20 years. And There's that saying in the radio business, like you never know who you may say something to or yeah. be working on your way up because they may be your manager later on on the way yeah. down. So it definitely has that kind of feel here. And I think that it also, because Paso Robles was a region that had something to prove for a long time because it was always not somewhere else, you know? And so because we always kind of lived in that, that realm is kind of everyone's got a little bit of a chip on our shoulders. And in that regard, we're all rooting for each other. Right. And so we all want to lift each other up. And I think we all kind of all have that same um, understanding that like, you know, rising tide, you know, raises all boats or whatever that saying is Mm -hmm. like, if your neighbor, it makes better wine. That mean, and then that motivates you to make better wine. Well, that means that there's going to be more people in that area because there's going to be two wineries right there that people want to go to. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes, like, there's that guilty by association kind of feel. And so you want the people around you to be successful too. Because another beautiful thing about wine in general is that people aren't literally like brand loyal to one wine. So it's okay for other people to drink other wines or be in other wines because I mean that's just how it works. You're not like I drink. No one says they drink one wine. You know, and so we we want you know that puts you in a position to recommend who your favorites are and, and root for your friends and send people your way and share members and all that. There's no there's no competition. I always say it's Paso Robles is like camaraderie over competition. That's another saying I've always had. Yeah, we started off with this uh, Rhone blend. It's uh, mainly Grenache Blanc. Uh, 70% Grenache Blanc, a uh, Roussan, which I have a love affair of Roussan, just love, love it, and then a little touch of Viognier. Uh, this is called the Pinwheel, mm-hmm. and this is just like, I mean, you could just drink this for days. This is yeah. super yummy. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's actually probably my favorite wine that we have on the lineup right now. It's um, We did a little differently. We we aged it for uh, most white wines um, are aged for about, I don't know, nine months at most. Um, we aged this for 14 months. We aged it for... Uh, 
14 months concrete and new oak, so about 70% concrete, 25% new oak, and a little bit of neutral oak for the Viognier. Concrete's kind of fun. What does that bring to a wine that folks can kind of learn? Well, for... For fermentation, it's great because it just helps retain temperature, so it keeps a really nice, steady temperature, uh, which is nice. And then also, it is technically a breathable vessel, which is not as breathable as oak, so it does kind of like the evolution occurs. Stainless steel tends to just preserve things too well, in my opinion, which, good or bad, just my opinion. Um, But concrete just does allow things to just kind of evolve a little bit. It allows oxygen to play a little bit more of a role. This red wine is fun. This is your GSM. This is our GSM, yeah. So this is all from Westside Paso Robles as well, both these wines. Uh, This is our uh, counterpart to the pinwheel, the Maniacal, um, our GSM. What are are these names about? So Maniacal, actually, uh, (laughs) when I first moved to Paso Robles in 2006, and I would meet people along the way, and I, you know, say, hey, so what are your, you know, you start talking, what are you, what are you hoping to accomplish here? You know, people would ask, and I'd say, I want to start my own brand. And they would tell me I was crazy. Because at 2006 in Paso Robles, it wasn't like the destination it is today. No, I moved here in 03, and there was like, and I worked at Vinoteca, yeah. and BS my way through there like you did yeah. on the floor of the restaurant you yeah. worked at. And you're right, there was not a lot going on here. No, and so people thought I was crazy to want to do that at that time. And so I would just tell people, well, then I'm, I'm, I'm a maniac and I'm, I'm doing it. Like it's, that's my only, there's no plan B, something else I always say. Uh, and so the GSM also being a tribute to the, you know, Paso Robles, uh, cause we do make wines from other regions and central coast blends, but this wine is always Paso Robles. Um, and so since it's kind of our tribute to the, to the West side of Paso and equating it with, you know, having to be crazy to had started this to begin with, the name maniacal came up and that's just the rest is history. When someone comes to Nell Cordon, do they taste both? Yeah. Can they, they can get the experience with both. Yeah. And then what else is like, what does someone expect when they come and hang out here for a bit? I tell the team all the time, our, our main job is to make sure they lose track of time and just forget that they're, you know, it's not home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that they, we want them to feel like they're sitting around drinking wine with friends and, and give that, that kind of vibe Sounds like my, every interview with you. Yeah. <laughs> lose track of time like you're just hanging out with a friend. Yeah. And, you know, because I think that's what wine is really about at the end of the day is just about sharing and about comfort. It's about food. It's about those things. And I think as an industry, especially winemakers, can get a little wrapped up in, in what it needs to be or what, you know, management of expectations or whatever. But really at the end of the day... We're just making something that people want to drink with their friends. What are the two websites? We've got Nell just, Winery. Yeah, you can go to Nell Winery or CordonWinery.com, and it goes to the same site, so we keep it easy for everybody. N-E-L-L-E or C-O-R-D-A-N-T. Yeah, Winery. Right? Yeah. All right, Nell Winery, Cordon Winery. Yeah. And uh, we're, how are we open right now? When are we open right now these days? Uh, we're open on the, you know, fr- Thursday through Monday outside, uh, 1030 to 5. Appointments encouraged, highly encouraged, just because we've been shockingly busy. Like, we, we before this, we never really wanted to go to appointment because the open door policy was really important to us, but now it's just become a necessity. So if you are in the area, you want to come by appointment would be appreciated. Um, and yeah, we'd love to host you. What's uh, some of your favorite places to go down Paso, downtown Paso these days? Um, for food? And yeah, or just, yeah. Well, yeah. Just what you, what do you uh, Well, uh, Le Petit Canai is obviously probably everyone's answer right now. They're really doing a great job. I really love Psalm's Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Is, is a wealth of knowledge and, and you're going to go there and, and you're, if you don't leave with information, then you weren't paying attention. Like, right. It comes down to that. <laughs> no, we're talking um, about Ian Adamo who's got yeah. this cool place downtown on 13th Street mm-hmm. where there's just like maybe a dozen seats in front of you. Yeah. And he does literally everything. Yeah. He, he yeah. serves you. He pours. He, he, 
plates, yeah. and he answers your question, and yep. you, you end up tasting a bunch of bomb wines yeah, well, always. from all over the world. Yeah, and then always the hatch, too. Got to, oh, I yeah. love that spot, especially for a good cocktail. And then just Maggie and uh, Eric are longtime friends, and they're doing such a great job. And you know and you know, one of my favorite places to eat in town is what? Goshi's. Yes. Goshi's and Pass Robles by the train station is like some of the best sushi I've, I have in California. Uh-huh. I, I, sushi is something I normally seek out when I'm in a metropolitan area or whatever. And like Goshi's delivers every time. Yeah, we have one in Slow and it's always really popular. Yeah, Goshi's and Slow is really good. It's too many college kids there, so their menu is less adventurous, I think. Yeah. yeah and you can, you can go like off menu at at Goshi's in Paso and eat some weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they're, they're one of my go-tos. My kids love sushi, too. So. Oh, do they really? Yeah. So, yeah, Florence, my six-year-old, she'll she'll order, like, five things. Like Really? And she just wants she wants a hand roll. She wants a tuna roll. She wants shrimp tempura. She wants a miso. She wants she just, like, goes to town. How cool is know? that? And at Kingston, my son, just he'll get, like, ten pieces of salmon nigiri. Just, like, put them down like a savage. <laughs> tell him to slow down. Yeah. Was this fun, man? This conversation it, was fun, yeah. it, goes, it goes by so fast with yeah. you. I always love chatting with you. Yeah, likewise. It's always fun. Um, definitely, you want to come down Tasty's wines, and really, it's so much fun to see some of uh, Tyler's expression with some of the other fruit that maybe doesn't come from Paso, like Santa Barbara County fruit, San Lucia Highlands fruit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're really uh, have you have you thought of other stuff you want to play with, even beyond or what? Well, there's. There was a time where there was no borders to where I wanted to source fruit from, but then when you start driving up and down the 101, hauling your own fruit, it, you, those those walls start to you know go up from how far you're willing to go. Sure, you know, in you know the right circumstance, I'd love to play with something from the Santa Cruz Mountains, um, but they've you know they had a really rough year. Actually, I wanted to get more Paso fruit if I'm being honest. Yeah. It's pretty. It's getting pretty. I know we say it's not competitive, but there's not. It's not just like there's abundance like there used to be. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, try these two great brands. Uh, the ones that we had today, all featuring Paso Robles fruit. The Maniacal was their GSM blend from Nell, and then uh, I'm going to revisit. I've never been opposed to going back to white after red. I think it's. I think it's fun. We to actually do. serve our white last. Is that right? Yeah. No way. I love that. Yeah. That's so cool. Of course you do. A pinwheel, a 70% Grenache Blanc, a 25% Roussan, and five Viognier. Well, dude, this was so much fun. Dude, thank you. Always appreciate hanging out, and thanks for sharing where wine's taking yeah, it, man. Anytime, man. Cheers. So give me that mm, sound. We'll get by. We pass on round till the job is up. Camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Much thanks to Tyler Russell. Please go back and check him and Edgar out. What a fantastic day. Could you imagine hitting up both those places in one afternoon? And the odds are, like most places in Paso, you'd get some FaceTime with the guys just like I did. Finally, to really get a clear look on the growth of Paso, wanted to chat with Chris Toronto, who is the communications director for Paso Wine. He has a big responsibility. And when you see Paso winning like wine region of the year or being noticed and appreciated by media and industry professionals far and wide, it's his department of the Paso Wine Alliance tasked for seeing that happens. Chris is a great guy with a great heart. He surfs, loves to hang, talk some smack, and take it from someone who knows a lot of people in Paso. Chris is liked by all of them. And it's great stuff for Paso Wine Country. Man. It was funny because we in the last episode we had uh, Joe G on Joe Barton from Grey Wolf and he was uh, my first interview 
ever, 10 years ago this harvest, and you were right alongside with us in some of these first episodes oh, that's right. of yeah. the Cork Dork. So I mean, we called you like the third Cork Dork because in the beginning, and I mean, Jeremy and I, uh, you know, we never really claimed to know much about wine. I still don't. But you have always, um, you were there to kind of walk us through some of the more technical aspects that would go over our head. And believe me, in wine, there's plenty that can go over your head, or at least mine. You'd be having a lot of fun with uh, with the winemakers and stuff, and then then we'd want to like explain something. Sure. And then after a little while, you guys, man, you you had such a command of the vocabulary and all of the things that go into winemaking that. I'll be honest, you didn't need me anymore. <laughs> it is pretty crazy what you pick up in 10 years when you don't even know you're picking up stuff. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, the people that you meet along the way. And look, I mean, you've been in this game for 14 years here in Paso. And one theme I've seen in past episodes, and I'm sure we'll talk about it with the guys uh, on today's podcast, is that the evolution has been so um, quick and it's a lot. There's a lot. It's been growing. Yeah. Bursts. Yeah, and and every every couple of years there are bursts, as you just said too, because you would see like I started in what was it oh seven with the Wine Alliance. That was a good year for Basso. Yeah, it was. And, and Gary uh, Everly says if you didn't make a good wine in oh seven, you belong at a gas station. <laughs> it's also the year you know like Saxon uh, was up there with their one hundred point wine. I mean, it was a good year for Paso. I mean, a lot of it was a good year for California. But. Yeah, for California in general. But yeah, no, it was a it was a good year. It was a good year to start. Uh, with the Alliance, uh, there was a lot of kind of new initiatives going into place at that time. Membership was growing, and so funding was becoming uh, a little better so we could get into doing more advanced type marketing. Because my role, I've been the uh, communications director now for what, 13, 14 years, going on 14 years here. And it's always been all about trade and, and media uh, and talking to them and being kind of like that spokesperson, right? Like, like this stuff. And so my role... Oh, I'm, I'm not on any media. Come on, you just introduced <laughs> me to any wine media? Gosh, no, I'm just joking. Go ahead. <laughs> but it's always been that that thing where, you know, you, you, you're you trying to promote Paso in a, in a different way, not just to the consumer and that end user, but trying to hopefully get people who you would consider influencers. And I don't mean influencers like you know they're they have no, i hate that word a bunch of uh uh you know instagram followers right. and, and people are watching them take selfies in really cool places and you know and getting free stuff i look, don't know i'm stopping on games <laughs> with my feet <laughs> exactly i i'm talking like sommeliers who are actually like working the floor at a really good restaurant or wine journalists or anybody that's helping to get that bottle into the hand of that end user but that's in the middle of that right distributors and people like that and providing that kind of education on paso that uh helps them understand us a little better and maybe be a little bit more open when somebody comes knocking on their door and says hey i want to sell you some paso wine with the explosion of everything has your job become easier or harder um wow good question you know kind of both yeah i would imagine because and easier because now when you say paso it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, people are a little bit more aware. It's like Birdman says, put some respect on my name. Yeah. <laughs> put some respect on yeah. my name. It's, it, it, that has become a little easier. Sure. But, but harder, though, because now the expectation, though, of some of the wines to almost meet the expectation of some of the wines that are coming from this area um, is pretty high 
right? I mean, we've got some really kick-ass wines here. And so if I want to put a really small brand that maybe you haven't heard of on the table in front of a journalist or a, or a psalm or something like that, I, I'm just hoping that they're going to be open to it. It's interesting because you have a big responsibility, Chris. And I know that you, I mean, you, you do your job well. People really, really like you. I've always been not only just have liked you, but thankful for you because you really helped what I was doing and learning and have always been a, a really, really good guy to me. But you're responsible for kind of like that psalm on the floor of that restaurant. You're responsible for telling a lot of stories, a lot of stories that aren't necessarily your own. True. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's maybe part of the art of the game in PR when you think about it. Some people don't do, they're not meant for this. Maybe right. they make wine, maybe they want to, but they need it. You know, some people like we could have Tyler Russell or, or Joji, and I'm sure they do fine telling their own story, yeah. but you're right. But you're, but they're not everywhere when, you know, when you have this wine writer come in, you know, one from LA, one from uh, San Francisco, and then this person, this distributor come in, you're like telling the story of Nell or Cordon uh, to these three people. You know, maybe Tyler can't be there right then or something. So, I mean, that's, it's a huge responsibility, but uh, one that you have never taken lightly and done a great job with. And Paso, I mean, and I've told this story before, and I don't know if I've ever told it to you, so it makes sense to bring it up again, at least to you. But Paso and the Wine Alliance has done such an incredible job. And we would do interviews with folks from Santa Barbara Wine Country, and they would lament about the disjointedness of their, you know, wine alliance, if you will, whatever they call themselves down there. And um, people will drive from LA right through Santa Barbara wine country and as you know there are bomb wines in Santa Barbara wine country oh, yeah. I mean some you know some of our favorites come from there but they will drive right through to come to Paso wine country because it is just that special that is a really cool and unique perspective uh, for sure because yes people really do you know kind of seek us out in a way because not just because I should say we have really good wines here and they show for themselves. But also, I mean, our organization, we've been busting our tails trying to elevate the kind of awareness of Paso wines out in the marketplace. And so it, and it's, it's come a long way. I mean, I think people used to always associate our organization as, oh, you do the wine festival in the park, right? Mm. And then there was that, that negative connotation of wine fest being all about like drunk fest. And you were saying that things have elevated over the years. And when you look at Winefest today, and granted, not today, but but today, in today's standards anyway, it's far more of an elevated type of an event. Well, look at Zap. Yeah, Zap Ten too, years ago, right? San Francisco, largest yeah. infantile tasting on earth. They used to give you uh, you know, a baguette and a bottle of water and say, don't die. You know, <laughs> get in there. You're going to go into an airplane hangar. You're going to go into Fort Mason or wherever it is. Yeah. And you're going to taste zins from all over. Just yeah. try not to roll out of here. But no, even that, I mean, you're right. I think there's been a thoughtful take from all these people. Like, hey, if we're going to get treated with respect these events are going to have to take a little bit more of a more educational and more detailed and kind of hone in on the person you want to absolutely. go to them. Absolutely, Yeah, absolutely. And so as the Wine Alliance doing this, that event, that was kind of the premier event that got people into town and it's the big, you know, celebration of everything Paso wine. And I do and, let, like, I do like to let my hair down on wine fest though. It's fun. It is fun. You know, <laughs> I mean, and respectful and classy yeah. and like a gentleman, but wine fest is so much fun. I do. I did miss it this year. I mean, it's pretty neat. You know, where else can you do it? I mean, it's a pretty unique wine festival. We've attended a lot of wine festivals uh, where we have our wineries attending or we're a sponsor. And so we've tra I've traveled all over the United States going to so many different um, events and, I, I got it. I mean, I know it's it's like your own kid. You know, you're not going to sit there. Oh well, you know, they have one over favorite over the the other. But right, but Winefest, it's like 
It's very special. It's it is. Yeah. It's really cool. Where else can you actually have that kind of a celebration in this little downtown park, surrounded by uh, you know restaurants and and shops and tasting rooms and all that cool stuff? And and it's just you know it's a beautiful day and the park is beautiful. It's yeah, yeah. It's pretty picturesque and it's really one of three weekends that Paso really excels at and gets people here. Of course, uh, that's the one in the middle. The first one of the year is Vintage Paso, celebrating Zinfandel from the old school days. Uh, then you got um, Wine Festival in May. And then, of course, uh, just coming out of Harvest and Harvest Wine Weekend in October. So it is really cool because what Paso does is, yes, we got, you know, for here, maybe we got a marquee event or maybe here we got a dinner or this. But the idea is, hey, let's get out and pass a wine country. Yeah. See what folks got going on because they, your favorite winery definitely has something going on. And PasoWine.com, your website has been great about being almost like, a great resource. I'm like, oh, let's search by day. Let's search by activity. Yeah, I'll yeah. find whatever I want. I can find whatever I want. Yeah, absolutely. And that's and that's that's always been that um, kind of outward facing element of what the Wine Alliance is. But not just that, though, of course, because we're also as an as an organization, we have a membership, and so we do a lot of educational events uh, for our membership. We do a lot of things that they, that they need to know, like let's just say it's compliance and what's new in compliance out there because that's a really important thing. What's what's happening out there in the world as far as trends or how can we better equip our members uh, maybe in, in a hospitality sense or in efficiencies and things like that. And so we bring that to our wineries. We also... Of course, all the trade and, and media stuff that I do, it's really important where we, we bring journalists here. We bring trade here. We do these kind of immersion type of events where we're hosting them in the area and giving them that kind of real sense of who Paso is. Uh, and then, of course, we have all of the um, the other education that we do, I guess, for our growers and, and for our winemakers and doing all kinds of little tech seminars and for our associate members and our, for our hospitality. So we're constantly trying to make sure that we're kind of building from the inside, if you will, mm-hmm. to make sure that our entire core, our entire membership is really strong. Because when you're inviting people you know, into your home, you don't want a messy living room waiting for them. You, you want it tip-top shape, right? And so we hope that by providing these educational opportunities and all of that for our membership, that they're equipped and ready to serve the people that we're asking to come to our region and purchase our wine. It's a great way to say it, equipped, because these are great tools. These are great tools for the wineries to use. We hear this term a lot in the wine business, direct to consumer. This is that relationship that the winery has to the person when they come and visit them, right? Yeah. Or maybe a wine club customer. Um, but you really are talking to all these kind of intermediaries. How is Paso, and we've talked about wineries and their direct-to-consumer relationship during COVID, and a lot of them have some very promising stories during this yeah. very chaotic time. What have you noticed uh, distributors and media, and what are other people taking away from Paso during this very interesting time? Great question. One thing is that it's obvious that traffic is down, you know, due to Due to the pandemic, due to the clo- the shutdowns and limited travel and all that kind of stuff. And so we're not getting as many people. But, uh, and it just came out the other day, is, is that we're, we, we are in partnership with this uh, group called Community Benchmark. And they do some tracking, basically, of figures. And what they were able to tell us is, is that, yeah, we're like 40% down in traffic. But we're actually up like 34% in direct-to-consumer DTC actual sales. And that, right. That means that so the people cool. that are coming are not only buying, but then they're ordering as well. 
Uh, and so even though the traffic might be down, sales are actually up. This, this uh, appointment thing, a lot of wineries didn't do this before, right. and now they swear by it. Yeah. It's such a different consumer and like more thoughtful person who's approaching the, the situation. And it's just turned – I think wineries love it. I do too. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure we're, this is something that's going to be here to stay. You know, and so, but then you have stuff like that's not DTC that's actually out, you know, and and on the out on the market the sales that actually happen to distributors. You had mentioned distributors, and not as much wine is being sold at restaurants, right? Yeah, now. because yeah, right. Well, then a lot of them aren't even totally open the way they were before. Exactly, and yeah. it's not just here. I mean, we right. need to we need to think, you know, not only locally but globally in a sense because think about what markets maybe some of our wineries are strong in, like say Texas or or michigan or massachusetts east coast wherever it might be it's all different it's there are they're at varying levels of open right florida west coast florida restaurants are open and things are happening and but then the east coast florida it's a little different right and so that has definitely been a challenge for a lot of brands who rely on that kind of restaurant business brands who rely on retail though let's just say they're in total wine and or wherever uh, other bottle shops here, there, and everywhere, small ones and big ones. We all know that people are still drinking during COVID. And so Shit, sales yeah. are still happening in that in that regard. Mm-hmm. But that is a very competitive landscape when you think about it. When you think about going to the wine, to the lo- your, where you buy wine retail, not direct from winery. Right. And there's a lot of choices in front of you. Mm-hmm. So we still, the Alliance still has to do that job of brand awareness. Even though things are a little different right now, we're still trying to get that word out there that Paso wines exist and they should be considered. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really admirable to see the way um, the wineries, I think the vast majority, you know, I mean, these guys have just, um, these folks have just, you know, gone through all the guidelines and, you know, spent hours, you know, outside of opening hours to like get this ready outside and get that tent up and just do whatever they could to help people welcoming people but not just to make that buck but to make people feel safe Mm -hmm. and that's the one thing that when i go out and spend my money now like when my gal and i go out we want to make sure that it's like we feel like it's not too tight it's not too this it's clean and that's important to us yeah absolutely it is and it's amazing now that those things that we're kind of considering i mean it's, it's a whole new world, right? And, and how you consider your experience these days and, and, and what you want to get out of it and, and how comfortable you might feel or not. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, and it, you know, it brings to light a little bit of like, how else is thing, how, uh, have things changed? And when I think back on when I first started with the Wine Alliance and we would go and we do, we had this thing called the road show where we'd go across the country and we would do different wine tasting events, just Paso. We do a trade event with a little seminar, and then it would be followed by uh, a consumer walk around tasting. And this is called work. Yeah. (laughs) We would, we would do these things all over the place. Right. And, and, uh, and sometimes back to back to back or whatever. Anyway, so many times people will be coming to this event that's branded Paso. That's like, you purchased a ticket to come to this wine tasting event that is a Paso Robles wine tasting event. And people would literally stop me and say, 
So are all the wines in this room from Paso Robles? <laughs> you you purchased okay? Yeah, right. Yeah, you know. <laughs> you know? But that was that was it though. Yeah. Like the, the, there there wasn't this kind of like it was a wine tasting event that somebody bought a ticket to. Let's mm-hmm. just say you know some people in the room would be oh yeah I love Paso, but a lot of people were just, just learning about it. it. And now fast forward you know ten thirteen years later. And we still do these events. They're not as plentiful as we used to, but we still um, try. Not this year, of course. And the events are way more about Paso and that people are coming are like wine club members to like five of the brands in the room. And, you know, it's still this really cool discovery of our region, but now people aren't questioning who are you and why am I here? That's got to be cool for you to notice that in the 14 years that you've been doing this where, you know, now let's say you're in, in some, you know, convention room at a hotel in the Midwest, you're in Chicago, I don't know. And you're like, oh yeah, Paso, yeah, we, we've been to Alanet Coloto or, or we've been here or we've been there. You're like, oh yeah, great. You know, it, I mean, that's really neat to see that kind of go down that way now and that yeah. recognition really really evolve definitely but talking to these folks like gary eberly or tobin james were the like you know i remember gary saying like if, if paso doesn't succeed eberly's not going to succeed and this was a theme really back with these um pioneer dudes like doug beckett like the Niels Udsons, and you know all these folks and i think with with that kind of mind frame leading the way leading by example and then with what your team has been doing and then the, the new school they constantly like these people are constantly like adopting that heart and it is just so exciting to see where it takes paso next oh absolutely they they've always, all, all those uh names that you just mentioned they've always said paso first when they're out on the road paso right. first paso first that's something that they imparted on people that they took and as they built their brands let's just say like linic Colotto or saxum turley and so many others there's these people that found their ways through be you know learning on, under some other people that that's now part of their mantra that they're passing along uh, to the next guy because that's where growth is is right now these days the new labels are uh, assistant winemakers working, you know, whether it be at Cordonel or over at Desperada. Uh, I mean, I don't know how many people are making wine out of Denner uh, or over at Aaron or wherever. You right. know, you've got people that are just, they got their own little label. They got two barrels. You know, shoot, I got two barrels. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and But then, you know, I'm putting a label and that's where the growth is these days. Uh, and it's cool. It's young and it's vibrant, but that's where labels are becoming brands. Yes. Uh, is, yes. is there. And, and so that's kind of, I think, where we're seeing any growth these days. Shoot, I got two barrels. <laughs> I love it. Well, it's been fun to talk, Chris. I mean, I've always loved being able to catch up with you, and I've learned so much from you in the last 10 years, and um, to see where Paso has gone, and to see where, I mean, where wine has taken you, I mean, is is really, really exciting. So Yeah, you're right, actually. You know? when, when you think about it that way, too, because, yes, the name of this podcast is Where Wine Takes You. Where has it taken me? It's taken, well, it brought me to Paso for one thing. I was up in Monterey in the in the tourism industry, but I really wanted to be in wine and I wanted to eventually make some wine or whatever. And so wine basically took me to Paso. And then since then, it's taken me to all over the United States. Uh, I was a keynote speaker once for uh, Wine Institute on their Southeast Asia tour. Um, it's taken me to meet really cool and interesting people like yourself that I, I'm fortunate to call my friend. 
so it's taken me a lot of places, you know, physically and emotionally. Yeah, and, and the whole thing. It's all, yeah. all, all five senses. Yes. I mean, it's cool to see where wine takes you, but it's also cool because your role is to see where wine takes Paso. Yeah. And that's really cool. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. It's, it is trying to make sure that, that Paso wine is taking somebody somewhere, and hopefully it's in a really good place where they have some great memories and come back for more. And then back to Paso again, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. Cheers, pa- man. By the way, Paso Wine is a great resource. If you are uh, making your next trip, you got to hit up PasoWine.com. And I would say even, you know, queue up a couple of these podcasts on your way up here on the drive. Yeah. Always good to talk to you, buddy. Thanks for having me. My thanks to Chris Toronto for the chat. And of course, also Tyler Russell of Nell and Corden Winery and Edgar Torres of Bodegas de Edgar. And straight out of Paso. It was fun to learn about that brand too. Wow. Okay, next episode. Now, we have a few husband and wife teams here in Paso, but these two are so unique. They are in a class all of their own. They rep their own respective brands, but their bond together is pretty special. This episode will be one you won't forget, and I'm so happy. Proposition 22 in California passed because I will definitely need an Uber after this show. We will bring you Valia Frome from Desperada and Russell Frome of Herman Story Wines. And that's all I got to say. Just be here for the next episode. Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Joel Peterson and the Pastor Robles Wine Country Alliance. It's recorded, edited, and produced by yours truly. I'm Adam Montiel, your host. Next time you're down for a conversation, next time you're down for a trip to world-class wine country, next time you're into pouring a glass of something special, don't forget to slow down, feel it, vibe with it, and see where wine takes you. Cheers. And give me that push, I'll get by, we pass all around till the job is Camp out in the trees, it will simplify, good comp. Give me that push, I'll get by, we pass all around till the job is Camp out in the trees, it will simplify, good comp. Give me that push, I'll get by, we pass all around till the job is in the trees, you will simplify in good company. When that moonshine will get by, we pass all around till the job is dry. Camped out in the trees, you will simplify in good company.